But I had that thought from last week I wanted to share with you. So let's flip our Bibles to the Colossians passage. And we're in Colossians 3. And a, what a beautiful, beautiful passage we're in. And I do want to give uh, praise for our uh, ACBC training that uh, several of us were in yesterday. And for those of you who are taking the time, I want to say just, you know, thank you. That That's a, whoa, what an investment of time we have had to put in to go to this. But uh, I think it's been already very helpful. For those of you who were there, today will seem like um, I'm just repeating everything that we heard from there. But uh, I might have an original thought. But, you know, if, if it's time for you to take a nap, then I'd say this is a safe place to do that. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you have taught us that without love, all our deeds are worth nothing. Send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of charity, the true bond of peace and of all virtues, without which whoever lives is counted dead before you. Grant this for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever started, say, an exercise program or a diet and only been successful for a little while and then it wanes off? Uh, for exercise, perhaps it's lasted a few weeks and then it just kind of goes away. I'm, I, can relate, I can relate to this. Um, I think too many times when people come to Christ, they are motivated for a short time, short time but that commitment um, can wane. They may not be actually totally committed. They may not have understood. Jesus has a parable. I think we read it lately about the one doesn't put his hand to the plow. You've you got to count your costs. You don't start a building before you know what it's going to cost. And so coming to faith wants to know what it costs. But I think in our world, uh, I think many people come to faith, and it's very simple reasons. I don't want to go to hell, and I want to go to heaven. In the here and now, and the working out of your salvation, if you will, becomes a foreign concept to many. Uh, one of our speakers talked about the trends that he saw in his kind of churches, and and I I uh, stifled my amens when he was talking about that. Talked about how because of revivalism, it had turned to a point where the church would preach the gospel and 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 uh, ask people to come and make a decision for faith. And this became the, the motive of the church. And then next week you come back and it's the same and it's the same. But there's really a lack of equipping of the saints to do what we're talking about here. That's putting off and putting on and living into this new life in which God has called you. Um, so perhaps, those, perhaps Christians start on this journey and they don't know. So it's out of ignorance. Um, Perhaps there's a bit of a, not Holy Spirit, but maybe a spurt. So they, they have this growth for a little while, but then it goes away. Well, Paul's been challenging the Colossians, and therefore us, to live more fully into their faith. He wants to make sure that what they claim they believe matches their actions. Last week we covered uh, this putting off and putting on. 
and, and that was putting off of the old self and putting on of the new self. And Paul's handling this like the changing of clothes. And we talked about last week how the old self actually has died with Christ. And if we could relate in some theological language, if we could relate the old self to the unregenerated, unregenerated person, so that before the Holy Spirit comes in and makes you alive, that's the old self. And then there's the new self, which is the one whom the Holy Spirit has come, made alive. You recognize your sin, your need for a Savior. You come to a saving and living faith. And that's, so that's the old self and the new self. So those things have happened already. So positionally you're there, but practically we need to be active in putting off still the ways of the world and putting on the new self. And this is the conversation that Paul's in. And we, we um, in the midst of his argument talking about old self, new self, we got old self and then quit because that's you know, how much time we had. So we're going to look at new self today. So I think in these few verses, I think our point is that since the Lord has called us out of our old life, out of death and into life, we are to put on the characteristics of this new life to which you were called. Which seems very simple. We're to, we are to put on the characteristics of this new life. So we're, we are to actually model Christ. We are to follow His modeling and we are to act like Christ. So the first thing we're going to look at is acting like Christ. So we're going to begin with verse 12. So with your Bibles open, let's look at 12 uh, and 13. So he says, put on then, um, let's see, let me see here. Let's, let me back up into 11 where he, he says here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, free, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So this is the argument that he's, he's still in the midst of, and so he, he's moving about the, the unity that there is in the church and the equality that there is in the church. We all have the same problem, and we all have the same need, and Christ provides what it is we need. And so all ground is equal at the foot of the cross, and then he says, put on then, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. So let's contrast this list. This is the list of putting on the new self. And let's contrast this list with that in, in uh, verse 5. So that was putting off the old self. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So one list is all about me and my self-pleasure, those things that I want. Um, I don't know whether it was last week or the week before, and I talked about it, how sad it would be if your main objective is to be happy. That's what this list is all about. It's, it's self-pleasure, self-gratification, self-discovery. So let me do what I want, when I want, how I want, because I need to know what makes me tick. 
Whatever it is that makes you feel good, you do it. And then Colossians 3, though, says, I mean 7, 3, 7, says, In these two you once walked when you were living in them. So Paul is saying, he goes through that list of sins that need to be put off, and he's saying, you once lived in those. This is like that passage out of um, Ephesians 2. He talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and, and he talks about how you, and, and he lists a bunch of them, and he says, and you too once walked in these things. This is where you did live, but by the grace of God you have been pulled out of that and into this new life. So um, that was then, and this is now. Paul's, Paul's making this argument of kind of the, the time and what has happened since then, that you have once lived in darkness, and that there is no doubt. And he's, he's, he's wanting you to recognize and readily admit you have once lived in darkness, but you have been brought into the light. So now he's really simply saying, so live like you're in the light. Christ has redeemed you from those things. The old self was self-centered and self-focused. And then we're contrasting that with this list in 3.12. And as the Lord has brought you into this new life, that new self, which is rooted in Christ, we are to take on His characteristics. And as we take on His characteristics, you've been moved from being self-focused to others-focused. Our, our eyes get to be off of us and what it is I want and actually onto others and how can I serve and love others? How long have you been a Christian? How have you seen progress in this putting off that self-focus, the self-gratification, the self-concern? And then where have you seen the, the um, progress in putting on like compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Have you grown in your compassion? As you have grown in your knowledge and understanding of, say, the doctrines of the gospel, has that knowledge of our faith served to humble you or do you actually take pride because you know right answers? Now, I think that there may be some progress that happens automatically where Paul's talking about these things here. Um, I have shared with you before this, this uh, my story of compassion. I came to a real and living saving faith and uh, so this is back in my lube center days. I uh, had a guy that worked for me. His um, Becky and I are high school sweethearts. We've been together forever. We kind of grew up together. This guy and his wife was a similar story, and um, and there was no way that I could imagine ever being married and living with this guy. He could have been a girl. I mean, you know, I'm not not stump my thing. The but like. He, he lived uh, strange, very strange compared to what I was used to. So I never understood how she could put up with him to begin with. But she did. She never asked, you know, this, they did not all this stuff before I ever came around. 
But somewhere along the line, she actually left him, and he was divorced. And, but they'd been married for, I, don't, I think it was like 20 years. Or been together 20 years. I think they'd been married for 20 years. They'd been married a long time by the, by the time this happened. And, um, and, and, and this is where, where I've told this story before. I know, you know some of you think that uh, it would be weird. This part gets weird for some of you because you're naturally compassionate and you're caring about people and you know, you, you've been in pos- positions and, and professions that you had to be kind and care about people. I was in the loop center business. You know, I was kind to my customers and I yelled at our employees to make sure that we could provide what we needed and that was kind of my mentality. So when the Lord was breaking my heart because my buddy's heart was broken, um, my friend who uh, had walked with me in our walk with Christ, he, he commented about how I was loving and I was compassionate. And this is something from the outside coming in, somebody affirming that I was growing to be more compassionate. And this is in an automatic way. It wasn't me being intentional about this. So I do think, from experience, not exegesis, but I think, I think because my experience, I think there are some things where this, these, in this list of putting on the new self, there's somewhat um, an automatic kind of thing happening. But I don't think we're to rely on the, and, and be satisfied in that one example of compassion. Um, I think what Paul is talking about here is being very intentional in growing into the characteristics of Christ. So this takes intentionality. We have to think on this. We have to put forth some effort in this. All the while, it's not like we're earning our salvation. Salvation has has been earned by Christ. He is the one who made it possible. The Holy Spirit calls us to life, brings us into this faith. And so Paul is charging us to live out our faith. So we are, as we're putting things on, we're putting on some things that are more foreign to us than others, but by the Holy Spirit, we are able to uh, put some of these things into action so that others should be able to see these characteristics actually happening in our life. So we, we've talked about how that thing that happened in the spiritual realm, that you've been brought into the old, the, the old life is dead, and you've been brought into the new life, and our practical experience is kind of catching up with it. So that's still what's happening. So... Um, we are to put forth this effort. When we do that, I think there are times where um, this, some of these things will take more, efforts, more effort on your part than others. Some things will come to you more naturally than others. But the Holy Spirit is going to work in us to conform us to the image of Christ so that we become more like Jesus. That is... That is God's goal. It's the Holy Spirit's goal. This is our goal. It's in our interaction with others that these things take place. So these are not where the contrast of these lists, this is not a self-focused list. This is not for my pleasure. This is for this fullness of life, the John 10.10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and life abundantly. What is this life abundantly? What is this life to the full? Well, it's actually because we are now being equipped by the Holy Spirit that we quit living for ourselves and we actually start living among God's people and serving others. 
because we're among a bunch of other people who have been sinners in the process of being saved, it is not this perfect utopia community that many times we wish it would be. Sometimes people can get on your nerves. I'm particularly gifted in that. I can get on people's nerves pretty quick. Well, the, the point is, you don't just say, well, he got on my nerves, therefore I go somewhere else. No, you actually have to then, that's the, that's the example of the life group and, and the exaggeration of me and Kirk not liking each other. I love Kirk like a brother. It's in, in that that you're learning to love, and Paul's language for this is, you're to be patient, bearing with one another. So some, sometimes some people do you wrong, things don't go your way, but you're to be patient and bear with one another. You're not looking for perfection. You're then, default should be, how can I simply forgive and love? Because we are to love in spite of those shortcomings. It's one of those things that I love you, although I'm getting to see your weakness. I see where you rub me the wrong way, but I love you anyway. So there becomes an intentionality for the, for the love, and we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But then, um, where this bearing with one another, then we must forgive. Paul doesn't say if you can bring it up in yourself, if you feel right, if you wake up in the right kind of mood, forgive. He, he says, forgive each other. And Paul's reasoning is very simple. He says, as the Lord forgave you, you must forgive. So, I, the, I, this is so simple, I really don't have anything else to say about it. But let me just see if I can help us see the simplicity of this just a little. I think when we don't forgive, it's because we're standing in judgment of somebody who has done us wrong. Or we have perceived done us wrong. But let, let's, act, let's, let's leave perception out. Let's act like this is real. And, the, and we can all relate to this. But if we withhold our forgiveness, we are standing in judgment. Well, we have offended, because of our sin, whatever it was, we have offended a holy God. In, in uh, Psalm 51, David says, against you and you only have I sinned. And I'm like, uh, but David, uh, what about what about Bathsheba? What about uh, Uriah? What what about what about what about what about? There are like a whole host of people who David sinned against. But he says, "Against you and you only have I sinned." So this, the ultimate thing is that it goes back to last week. And in order to break any of the other commandments, we have to break the first one, which is, "You will have no other gods before me." Well, for me to sin, I have made something else a god, and I have already developed an idol and worshipped the creation instead of the creator, Romans 1. So, as that happens, we have offended our holy God. But our God did not withhold forgiveness from us. He, in His mercy, sent Christ to die, yes, for our sins, and then He sends the Holy Spirit so that He can wake you up out of your slumber and say, I, am this, I have sinned, and I have sinned against you, O holy God. Well, because you have been forgiven, then you need to forgive. And as grievous as the sin that somebody may have com- 
committed against you, the wrong that they have committed against you, this sin that we had committed in, against God is even greater. And so Paul doesn't have any other words to say other than as you, as, as you have been forgiven, you need to forgive. And he's done. He just kind of moves on. But how comfortable are we of forgiving others? Do we take uh, this role seriously? And in order to do so, we remember our, our worth and our unworthiness as we sing, how though we were indebted to Christ, uh, to God, and have offended God, He somehow, for some reason, we find our worth because He redeems us. He loved us when we were unlovable. So I think this, you know, the hard charge on this is, is there somebody that you have that you have withheld forgiveness that you need to be forgiving? Let us revisit the gospel and gain enough perspective to start thinking about and asking the Lord to change our hearts so that we are willing to forgive. So this section moves from the personal list, which it, that's what happened last week, moves from a very personal list um, where you are responsible for yourself, how you're going to grow in these characteristics of Christ. But then Paul moves into the corporate implications of each member of the body taking their role seriously to maintain unity and peace in the body. If you have been around the greater church for very long, you understand that we don't do well at achieving Paul's charge to us. We would rather pick up our toys and go to another church or, you know, go home than to have uncomfortable meetings with others to let them know how they've offended us or to offer forgiveness to someone and cleanse the air. It's easier to avoid the confrontation, so we just leave. This theme of unity in the body begins in 13, but then it moves on in 14 and 15. And so um, our next thing we're going to see is we're going to love like Christ. So we're going to act like Christ. Now we're going to love like Christ. Verse 14 says, And above all, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So, to put on love is the greatest of the characteristics of Christ. This is what Paul's saying here. We too often think that love is simply a feeling or a reaction to something else. Somebody, you know, it's, and, we, and we think of ooey gooey's and Hallmark movies. But I think this is a charge to say that you need to think of love as a choice. We need to choose love. Our gracious Father in heaven set his love on us while we were yet sinners. But he sets his love on us Meaning, he's done this based on nothing in us. He didn't say, Jim's really got something to offer me, and I'm going to bring him then, therefore, I'll bring him into my team. 
No, this is in spite of who we are and what we've done. The only thing that we came with is this guilty verdict. The only thing that we came with is the sin with, from which we needed to be forgiven. It's the only thing we added to, this, to our salvation. But God, in His mercy, sets His love on us because He is gracious. Have you ever decidedly set your love on someone and loved them regardless of their behavior or regardless of how they responded to you? Do you want a litmus test to examine yourself to see how you're doing with this love thing. When I do uh, weddings, I will, I, you know, I got to preach the gospel in there. I charge, I charge husband to be, a wife to be. I charge the couple with all kinds of things. And then if it wasn't one of the readings, I refer to it and I go to the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And I'll read a few verses and I'm going to read these to you. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now those are familiar, to most of us, these are familiar words. But could you replace love with your name? Now this is not the intent of the scripture, but my charge to the couple is always to choose love. Choose to love. There are times when, when Becky and I were dating, there were, it was easy for me to always be nice. One of the things that helped is we weren't around each other all the time, and so we just went on dates. Well, I could be nice for a couple hours. That was, that was pretty easy. But then the, you pass that time, and the newness wears off, and some of those other things wear off, and now you're just kind of with each other like all the time, we have to actually choose to love. And if all I'm looking for were the ooey-gooey's that we had when we were 16, 17, I would have been disappointed for a long, long time. Now, personally, I still get some of those. I'm not sure she does. But, but yet she chooses even to love me in spite of who I am. And she knows me well. As, uh, you know, by this point, she knows me very well. But she loves me, too. But it becomes a choice to love. But... Could you replace, your, replace love with your name? Could you say Jim is patient and kind? I should have started somewhere else. Jim does not envy or boast. Could have started somewhere else. It is not, it is not, he, he is not arrogant or rude. So there's a whole verse down for me. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. I, okay, I'm just going to quit. Or I'm going to start putting in one of your names. I think that you can do that with Jesus. I think you could replace 
the word love and you could make it all about Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant. Our goal is to be like Jesus. Now there is this reality that we are living in a fallen world and you are not Jesus. So I don't really want you to hold me to the standard of Jesus and I don't want to hold you to the standard of Jesus. And we do have to be able to give ourselves some grace and recognize this is what grace is all about, it's what the cross is all about. But there should be some movement to being more patient, more kind. All those things. We should be on a progressive increase for all those things. The body, as the body of Christ, as the church practices these traits of Jesus, we're going to have the peace of Christ in among us. And, and again, it's in the, in the coming um, into the body of believers, being saved out of the world and into the church is God's design. We find our peace in the church, and then we guard ourselves to keep that peace by forgiving others and not letting things fester, being willing to have conversations because that's what we do in the family. There's, you know, there is no perfect family. We've been saved into a family, and there's not, still not a perfect family. And sometimes it takes conversations to talk past through where we've ruffled some feathers. We need to be willing to do that. The next thing we're going to see is we need to engage like Christ. And I, I challenge myself on, the, on my uh, word engage. Um, I don't have a better one. It's a, it, what, I wanna, what I wanna see is we need to be engaging with one another here. So let's look at verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, because we have been conditioned to think that our faith is private, and I did mention that last week, we are slow to embrace the responsibilities of living our faith corporately. Some of us have to have a lot of things undone, which have, we've been spending years being conditioned about how private our faith is to see this corporate aspect of our faith. But we are to interact with each other in a multitude of ways to help each other grow in Christ. We are to stir each other up to good works, the scripture says. Here, we are to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In verse 15, the peace of Christ was to dwell, and that would have been in a present, future kind of tense, the expectation that as you're walking in the faith, that the peace of Christ will and is dwelling in you. And because these, these sentences are basically like parallels here, it might give us a sense, and I, whatever, I guess there are interpreters who interpret this as this uh, word of Christ might be a present, future thing, like the word of Christ is going to come. Well, I think we need to think past tense. The word of Christ needs to dwell in you 
in the present and in the future, yes. When did the word of Christ come to you? I think he's pointing to, as these Colossians had heard the gospel, they came to a saving faith. This thing that they learned about who Christ is, I think this is the word of Christ that Paul's talking about. So it's this past, looking back at that gospel which saves, but then also the word of Christ, that which, if we're reading in Genesis 14, there's something in there to teach us about Christ. If it's Exodus 3, there's something in there to teach us something about Christ. All the Old Testament is pointing to the cross, and all the New Testament flows from it. So wherever you land, there's something to be gained about your knowledge of Christ. And it may be a, a place where you're not seeing anything about God, and it may be showing you man's sin. And you, you can relate to that and say, I need to be saved from that. Still, it's pointing to the cross. <clears throat> so God's design for growing baby Christians into mature Christians is by saving them into the church. And then the people of the church will nurture the young Christian and teach them and admonish them. This admonish is to advise of avoid wrongdoing. So that's the kind of admonishing. We're not going to go around yelling at everybody or shaking our fingers at everybody. Paul Tripp in the Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand says... God transforms people's lives as people bring His Word to them. This is God's design for growth. So, if the church is not very equipped to know God's Word, then how do we bring God's Word to bear in each other's lives? We're friends. We hang out at the dinner table. I'm just going to use Kirk on that one where Kirk and I are friends and we're actually going to sit at a dinner table. It's not that I don't like him, but we're sitting at the dinner table and he hears me going about telling a story of where I've, I've been struggling with something. He's able to bring Christ's word to bear in my life in that moment. Well, he's not able to do that if he knows nothing about the Bible. I'm not able to do that for anybody if I don't know anything about the Bible. So God's design, and it, this is where when, when I when I like if you want answers on this kind of thing, you go to Paul Tripp. That's, in, that's what my head says. And Paul Tripp says God transforms people's lives as people bring His Word to them. You're like, well, that is very simple. But it's so what that's saying though is, you're God's people. You need to be bringing God's Word to each other. There is something that happens when we gather on a Sunday, and that's why we love expository preaching. We think the Holy Spirit, in spite of me, actually speaks God's Word into your hearts. And for that I give thanks. And I am thoroughly relying upon Him and not me. But then beyond that, where this is the idea of meeting in a life group, meeting in a covenant group, where we're able to bring God's Word to bear in each other's lives when we get together, when we know each other. Now, rank stranger off the street want to bring God's Word to bear in my life. I'm not sure how patient or kind I'm going to be. But when one of you bring God's Word to bear, we've already gained access. I already love you. You already know me. I know that you're going to love me even though 
I have whatever my issue is. And I got a lot of them. But I know you love me anyway. Thanks be to God. So there kind of have to have that a right. You have to earn the right to be heard. So as we love one another, we are to take up the mantle of this real loving one another is to play your role in the body and help the body function as we do our part so that we learn, we learn God's word, and we admonish, we warn others, we teach others. And then we sing the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I think this is, a, I, this is our third verse where he's talking about being thankful. Obedience, we say and understand, it's a scriptural thing. Obedience brings blessing, but it also fosters gratitude. If, if, if you're lacking gratitude, I would suggest there's a disobedience in your life. Once you start experiencing obedience, this gratitude thing, I think, is going to come. In verse 15, experiencing the peace of Christ in the body of, in the body of Christ should make us thankful, he says. Then in 16, he says, we teach, admonish, and sing with thankfulness. Then in 17, Paul sums up his whole argument from that that's above. He says, whatever you do, in word or deed, that means in all of your life, if you take your actions and you take the things you say and the things you do, then you do all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he says, make sure that your words are consistent with your actions. Your behavior, the, the gospel you proclaim, it, was, it, will do the body, it will do the body damage, it does Christ damage, it does damage to those who are outside looking in. If you claim a faith, but then you act in a way that is like way off the mark. <clears throat> and I recognize we are, none of us are perfect, and we can't all be thoroughly obedient 100% of the time. It's why we have confessions, why we have grace, it's why we have the means of grace. I understand all those things. But if, if, if you're way off the mark, you're going to do damage to the cause of Christ because you will, you will not be believed. We talked about this last week. We need to make sure that our words and our actions are consistent. Do you walk your talk? Live, living all of your life in the name of Jesus is to remember uh, that He is the author and He is the authority to which you live in submission. So there should be no doubt when other people see you of your submission, therefore obedience, to our Heavenly Father. So you do all these things in the name of Jesus, Paul says. That's his shortcut. Uh, your obedience does bring blessing, but it also brings gratitude. He, and, and he, ha- he kind of has a... Uh, he's hammering on that, and it grows each time. So be thankful. Do it with thanksgiving. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Be thankful that as you're doing all your things, do it out of gratitude. And it goes back to the uh, 
we have multiple examples of, of this guilt, then grace, then gratitude, and the uh, historic catechisms are even designed around that kind of a fashion where there's guilt laid out because the, the gospel exposes our sin and our need for a savior. And then that gospel comes in and it, and it heals that. There's our grace. But then we live in gratitude for who he is and what he's done. So in all those things that you do, do that with gratitude. So give thanks to the Father for this new life that he has brought you into. Thank him for the clarity that his truth brings to your life. We talked about this in the last couple of weeks about how when he brings you into the life, you're finally seeing the world through his lens and not these uh, marred glasses which we have been looking through the world with. So we want to thank him for the clarity of his truth because it brings a new set of glasses to us through which we can see how we are to act so that we are to live into God's design and then we can recognize love and we can recognize peace that is dwelling in you so that you may be an agent to change, may be God's agent to change other people. And our objective is simply to love him, be obedient to his word, not that we're uh, aggressively out here trying to change people, but God has a design that you are to participate in so that he can change people through you. Will you participate? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.